Hello, I'm Pastor Paul, an associate pastor at Living Word, and this is our podcast. I want to say thank you for joining us today. I know this message will minister to your spirit and it will build your faith. I know God will move in your life because you are a doer of the Word. Enjoy today's message. You can be seated this morning. We have in, in the house special guests with us. I think I spotted where she is. Juanita Spangler, Pastor Juanita Spangler, welcome back to Living Word today and your guest. We're honored to have you. Uh, Pastor Rick and Juanita served Pastor Bob here for a number of years and Lucinda and I for many years as associate pastors. And uh, you've heard me talk about them, particularly family and family mission and their evangelistic heart to win the lost and what an example of family working together to see God's objective met. And still they do that. I don't know how many, how many kids are in ministry. They all are to some degree, but a number of them called right into full-time ministry. So we're happy to have them in the house, and, and always uh, there's a place of honor here for those that have served here. This morning, as we get into the Word, it's interesting what the Holy Spirit is you know, revealing as I, I teach this. We, we call it a series, but it's really just looking at what Jesus said about end times and particularly what he would be doing in the kingdom for us to have an understanding of the time that we're living in and what our assignment is. You know, life can be so busy we lose sight of what we're to do for the kingdom until we're reminded by the scripture. We live in an information age and the busiest generation, I would say, that's ever lived, yet we have the most important mission to fulfill of any generation perhaps that's ever lived. So as we look at Matthew 13 this morning, we're going to put up on the screen another parable that I want to read and I want to talk about it. And you can think about it this way. The the parable of of the wheat and tares is a story about uh, a harvest field getting ready to ripen and uh, Jesus explaining what's going to happen in the very end. But there's a moment in the field when the grain begins to head out and you can tell what you've got. Wheat and tares essentially look exactly the same until they head out and and then there's the harvest. Now, we can think about the tares and the awful fate of the tares because they're going to be gathered out of the field by angels and burned in in fire. Well, that's a, a picture of a final judgment. But think about the wheat that's in the field that's gone undetected for a whole generation People that are out there waiting to hear about Jesus or have heard about him and not done anything with him yet. The pressure is on in the earth for the earth to produce what the Heavenly Father had in mind in the first place. A harvest of his family coming into the kingdom. People coming into the kingdom. I want you to understand that God is for people. He's not against people. He's for people. He's for every person to hear and have an opportunity because I believe that we are blinded as God's people as to the true potential of others out there. We look at what we think are identifying traits of somebody living for God or not living for God, and we want to draw a conclusion as to who's going to be part of God's family and who's not by what we can see in the moment. I want you to do away with that wrong thinking. We have to look at every person as though we expect fully for them to come into the kingdom because of the time that we're in. The pressure is on, and I believe that people will increasingly turn to Jesus. There will be some that flat out turn away and deny him, but there will be many that that will hear just the right thing at just the right moment to make a change in their thinking. And when when the end of this, this age has come, When they head out, if you want to see, that's what you call grain heading out, a a wheat grain especially. When it comes to a head, you'll be able to see that there's wheat instead of weeds. See, God's heart is for every person, and our heart has to be like that, or we will miss God. Before we get into this, I think of, uh, of the last couple of years, people that I've shared with and, and prayed with and won them to the Lord that didn't know him. And I've watched consistently, they turn around and reach a whole bunch of people in a hurry because they've been convinced to come into the kingdom. I've watched some of those same people pass away in the same two years that they were one to the Lord. 
but they brought 20 or 30 people in with them within that two-year period. And it is a wake-up call to those of us in the body of Christ to not look at people thinking that they're not going to come in, but rather look at them thinking, why wouldn't they? Of course they will. Why? If they hear the goodness of Jesus and that salvation is a free gift, people are going to mostly want that. They have a wrong idea about salvation and thinking somehow it has to be earned first through right behavior. Every person I've won to the Lord in the last two years thought that way. They thought that churches taught you have to be clean before you can come in. When in reality, Jesus said, you come in and let the Holy Spirit do the work. You come in. So we've got to think in terms of how Heavenly Father would think in the end days, in the end times. He's looking for the, 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 the slightest thing, the littlest seed to be planted in the heart of a person. Think of it this way. The DNA of salvation rubs off from you onto another person. And they might look like they're the weed in the field, but honey, they're not a weed. God has predetermined to save them as much as he saved you and me. So what do we do? We have to choose to be in a position to rub off on people. And I'll tell you something about people. They want the good to rub off and you can keep the rest. So don't worry about what you have to offer. You have Jesus, the good Jesus, the Savior of the world, who will become their Lord in time as they trust him. But he wants to be their Savior and now. Why? Because at any time, this life as we know it could be over, and God's heart is to win the, 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 the great field. Jesus described the field as being wide unto harvest in the Gospels. If he was calling it wide unto the harvest when he was yet walking in the earth, then it has to be that time. Now, yeah, there will be, be some, some patches out in the field. I think when I was a little kid, we had Canadian thistle would get in the wheat fields. We had wheat fields when I was a kid. And over the winter, they, I was told that the geese brought it. You know, the geese came in and left a present in the field, and in the present was thistle seed, and the thistle seed would come up. But you couldn't go out there and cut it down until the harvest. In modern, modern days, we'd go out with a combine, and you combine the weed, and the, the weed seeds would blow away. But in this harvest... God says he will send his angels to gather out the weeds before he brings in the wheat. What does that tell me? Before the rapture, there is a separation that God is up to. We won't be able to figure it out. We won't be able to discern who's going to come in and who's not going to come in. We're going to have to trust him to do what Jesus did. He said he came to seek and save that which was lost. He used the word was in past tense to teach us something. If it was, it is no longer lost. And from his perspective, he has won the world. And we are the people that help others wake up to that fact. I, I drive by a, a certain house and I think every time I drive by, what if I had not talked to them about Jesus? And they're both gone now. But they won at least 20. I was there when 20 prayed in one prayer to come to the Lord Jesus around somebody's deathbed. That is a result of somebody in this church planting seed of love into their hearts and making them think God is good. People don't always even know he's good anymore. Why? Because there's been a whole generation that's almost been trained to think, well, the world's going to see its judgment rather than recognize. We know that's true. But we need to recognize God is merciful. And Jesus came as, as a display of God's mercy to win people over. And if we don't get a positive disposition toward people, we will have negativity only to offer, and it won't go anywhere. Now, we can go ahead and pull this up on the, the screen. Again, don't, I don't have uh, room on my notes for everything, and I didn't give him much notice. Are we going to be able to do it? He's working on it. There it comes. Another parable Jesus put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man who sowed good seed in his field. This is Matthew 13. Are you having to type it in word for word? I bet he is. I didn't bring a backup, and I don't have... Lucinda's got her backup. 
I was just, just saying to Steve and Don, I'm supposed to be modern and use devices, but I don't. So here's an exception, all right? But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and left. And when the wheat sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also became evident, and the slaves of the landowner came and said unto him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No. While you're gathering up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow them both to grow together until the harvest. And at the end of the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the weeds and bind them in bundles to burn them and gather the wheat into my barn. Thank you very much. In, in just big enough font, I could do it without glasses. Anyhow. A story Jesus is sharing, a parable Jesus is sharing that he said we would want to know, we would want to understand as Jesus' disciples what this means. It means that we have to remember the world that we're in and without the saving grace of Jesus, we would be one of the weeds in the field. But somebody somehow brought the word that rubbed off on us that brought us into the family. And now a time is coming in our lives where where we're, we're... we're going to seed, if you want to think it. The world is going to seed. What does that mean? It means spiritually. The field of the world is being identified for one final time as Jesus prepares to come. Who's in the kingdom and who's not in the kingdom? Think of it this way. Who's in the kingdom of God and who's in the kingdom of darkness? Now, we have to be thinking right as a church or we will not become outreach-oriented like I'm almost demanding we do. Why? Because I look at what time it is in God and I recognize we have a job to do. And if we're not out among people on purpose to win them, we will not win the lost. So what do we do? Think of it this way. Somebody around you that you don't know if they know Jesus or you've seen them step away from him, it's time to let Jesus rub off on them again. And be purposeful in it and prayerful in it and say, God, there is an anointing on my life to be a wheat maker. Because that's what you are. Literally, we get out among people. Think, think about the, the righteous wheat is in the field. We think of the weeds taking over the wheat. You, you got another thing coming in Christ Jesus. You have an anointing where the wheat is supposed to overtake the weeds. Or think of it this way, there's a conversion that takes place when we're born again and the old nature dies and the new nature comes forth and what looked like it was going to head out as as a worthless life of the flesh where the devil had controlled somebody, Jesus gets a hold of that person and in the final hour they are transformed and changed. And when they're transformed and changed and they know that time is short, I've watched people get really bold that didn't have a voice before. I think of this this couple in heaven having credit for 20 people coming to the Lord when they barely got in themselves. And I marvel at that. And as I, I consider that, I think that is going to become the norm thing very soon. I know so many preachers today are talking about, oh, the judgment of God on the nation and all the the world's going to hell and everything else. The world is destined, as we know it, to die. But people are destined, as we should know it, to go to heaven. And we are the changing force. We are the change agent to see that happen with the power of the Holy Spirit working through our lives. And preachers right now, according to what Jesus said, should be heralding that with the sword of his mouth and bringing it out into the open to talk about. Because as as the voices of the world want to intimidate those that have the gospel, those that have the spirit of God have to become bold enough to encourage people that know the Holy Spirit on the inside to be Jesus in the earth again. And as much as as there's a, a world saying, oh, you can't do that, my Jesus says I'm supposed to. See, he says, he says we're going to be persecuted for some things in the end times. Why don't we have it be for the right reason? I mean, it's one thing to be called a Christian. It's another thing to live as one. And when we live as one, you can think of it this way. It's going to rub off on people around you instead of them rubbing off on you. This is, this is a test to know how secure your spiritual DNA is or how much of what's going on on the inside makes it to the outside. If what's happening on the inside of you by the Spirit of God, if Jesus is having a, a perfect work in you, 
People on the outside will be affected just by your being around and having something to say. And when you have something to say, you will rub off on them more than their stuff rubs off on you. Ever walk away from a situation and think, oh, that was yucky. That might be one aspect of a conversation. That might be one moment in a relationship. But we're supposed to walk away recognizing the yucky has no effect on us, but the anointing, the power of God has an effect on them. And if we're not considering that and thinking about that, the Holy Spirit can't use us strategically. It's not a matter of just being there. It's a matter of being there and using a word out of our mouth to address a situation and change the nature of it to flip it and turn it. Whenever you're going to win somebody to Jesus, you are, you are flipping a person. We've got all these TV shows about buying and flipping a house. If we would think on, on, in, in simple terms as that's what we're here to do for the Lord Jesus with people, is there is, a, there is a reason God created them to live in the earth in this generation. If for no other reason, it's for you and me to win them. Now, now we can get into the interpretation of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 13. I, I've got somewhere that I'm going strategically that I want to get to today because this changes the nature of our discussion about these parables. We can look at them. You can look at them through a judgmental eye or you can look at them through a mercy eye. I've said and I will say again and again, this will be a house of mercy and not of judgment. This will be a house of mercy. So what do we do? We want to look at the scripture and say, the God who loves me, Jesus that saved me, sees people that way. I need to see people that way. Now, Jesus answered the disciples. They asked for an interpretation. And he said, he that sows the good seed is the son of man or the Lord Jesus Christ. The field is the world and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The good seed. The good seed. That means us. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. There will be some. Now, the enemy that sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. We're not. They are. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. Now, that's a tragic thing, and it will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And until it does happen, the game is on. Now, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. That's his job, not our job. Think of what our, our job is. Our job is to address those that we can win. The angels will take care of the negative side. When I think about the why in the road and, and the split in churches right now, the biggest Christian denomination in the world is splitting as we speak. There's the conservative, Bible-based believing section, about 60%. And there's 40% that are embracing New Age teaching and every kind of compromise, not just in their congregations, but in leadership and in, in pastors and staff. And it's happening in this moment, right before us, in the biggest denomination in the world, affecting the United States significantly. And we need to wake up and understand why. Part of the why is we're not focusing on the right side of things in winning the people that are lost and allowing ourselves to rub off on them, allowing the truth to rub off on them. But there comes a point when some are identified as tares, and Jesus is addressing this, and he calls them the children of the wicked one. Who are the children of the wicked one? The ones that will not identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. So what is happening is 40% of the biggest denomination in America are identifying more with the wicked one than with the holy one. That's one way to look at it. Why do I bring that up? Because it's happening and we need to recognize there is this polarity shift happening in, in the church world that we have to recognize where we want to land and we want to land in the right place. The right place is not criticism. The right place is not a separation from the rest of mankind in the way we think not reaching anybody, but it's becoming louder in the voice that we have and recognizing it is the word of God. It is the Holy Spirit by the power of God working that word in us that transforms us and changes us, and without God's mercy and grace, it wouldn't happen to anybody. So we've got to give every person an opportunity and the benefit of hearing the truth. 
I, I could go into story after story of people that out of the 20 that got saved that are circling back to have conversations with me. Why? They're experiencing life change and they're wondering, why in the world is this happening to me? I can't go into it because it's being broadcast. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But there's things happening. Why? Jesus is working on making disciples because somebody chose to rub off on what looked like a weed patch and turn it all into a wheat field. Now, he will cast them in a furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's the very, very end. The angels will do that. Jesus will judge that. We will not. Our part is to make every, think of it this way. You may make some mistakes and get all over there trying to, to rub some of your pollen, some of your Jesus on some weeds that don't turn. Not your fault, not your problem. You did right. We fear somehow rejection and we fear somehow that we're supposed to be silenced or, or have some inhibitions in sharing the gospel. It should be obvious. That is the devil's mandate in the latter days to try to shut us up from being a witness. So what do we do? We either trust God or we don't. I'm not satisfied to see the body of Christ diminished and silenced. I believe we're to become bolder by the Holy Spirit's help in the right way. Not bold to criticize, but bold to win. And there's a huge difference. Now, he says that there's, there, there's two things he's pointing out here in these verses that I want to talk about. Because there's a, a maturing, I believe there's something happening in people right now. I believe that when, when you look at Scripture, Scripture says that God foreordained salvation, that he knows who's going to be saved. If he knows who's going to be saved, he knows how to begin working in that field what I call the, the miracle of a ripening coming. Right when we think the world is shutting down against Christ, Scripture would teach otherwise. The Heavenly Father is saying, ah, it's, I'm calling harvest on the earth. When Father God calls harvest on his possession, he's going to get what he's asking for. Why? He still owns the earth and everything in it. And he has designed people to be one unto the Lord Jesus in a time that he calls harvest. So there's this thing happening, I call it this, the dealings of God. For people that know him, there's this sense of, of I, I need to be right, I need to make some adjustments, and, and we go through the, the, the relationship we call lordship with Jesus, where we want to give back to him, we want to give our lives more to him, we want to, at the close of a message today, be more cooperative in winning the lost for him. But when you don't know the Lord yet, or your spiritual DNA has been confused by things that aren't even true about the body of Christ, or you hear the popular message of a counter gospel going on in our society, that everybody is a God unto themselves. If you're hearing that and you are confused spiritually, you're going to begin to experience the dealings of God another way. The Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh, you see. And God beginning to deal with the most unlikely of people, we would think, to bring him into the kingdom. Quit looking for who you think is qualified to bring in and just look for somebody. It's as simple as that because if God has foreordained it, we're not responsible to screen first. We're responsible to win first. And if we're responsible to win first, we have to take on an attitude that I remember first hearing this from Bernice Clemson. Do you remember Miss Bernice? She's had her move recently. She could use some cards. You can see Lucinda about that. She's doing, she's doing good. We just, just heard from her daughters. But she used to say pretty often, Jesus is for every man. And, and, and it took a little while for that to sink in. Why is she saying that? Because she was seeing People act like Jesus wasn't for every man. Well, we want to get that right. I think of Miss Bernice as somebody I saw praying a lot and thinking that's an insight that God gave her that should be grabbed in the body of Christ for a time like this. Now, he says there's going to be things that offend that he gathers up. That word in the Greek is scandalizo. It's where we get scandal from. What is a scandal that he's going to gather up? Anything that is hindering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the end days. What is a scandal in our lives as believers? Our unwillingness or inability to witness? 
anything that might stand in the way that we think we're not ready, not bold, not good enough, not whatever, to him, that's scandalous. Why? He's the free gift. We don't have to be any more qualified than say, this is Jesus giving himself away. This is Jesus being real to people and meeting them in their moment of need, whatever it is, or maybe meeting them when they don't seem to have a need, but you can't read need. Sometimes people that look like they've really got it together are hurting on the inside more than anybody else. And they just put on a show and put on a front. So what do we do? We have to be led by the Holy Spirit because he's going to begin to deal with the scandalous things. See, people read this and they, they, they first think, oh, anything that in the body of Christ is creating confusion. Well, that could be the case. But where's the confusion coming from? We forget he's a free gift and it's our job to bring it. We forget that he doesn't qualify people first. He came to seek them and to save them. He did the seeking. We, we, we now act on his part to do the saving. Well, and then he said he's going to gather those doing iniquity. There's going to be a gathering of people that choose pleasure in sin anyway. Now, what does that mean? That means they chose sin over Jesus. Well, we don't want to be a part of that. So there's not much preaching on that right now either because there is a, a righteous holiness that should be in the church. And I'm going to tell you, we know it is if we're winning the lost, he's doing his work of righteousness. He put the standards in this parable together. We don't want to get caught up thinking we're, we're high and holy until we also are reaching the lower and lowly. We've got to reach people that don't know him. And that's, that's evidence then of his spirit having his perfect work in us. Most people say right away, I'm just not bold enough for that. Yes, we are. It's Christ Jesus living in us, and it's not about us. It's about him. When we bring up an excuse, that's a scandal as far as he's concerned. Well, who gets gathered up? The, 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 the scandal causers. So we want to think, oh, the, the, the great sinner. No, he's talking about the, 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 the Christians that live a scandalous existence, and he's not... He's not only talking about sin here, he's talking about not serving the Lord that way. See, there's a right way of thinking. The, 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 the healthy fear of God means we want to be like Jesus and not sin, but we're also going to win people where we are, realizing it's not about us being perfect. It's because he's perfect, and we never forget that. Now, our spiritual DNA in, in people becomes increasingly apparent. That's, that's happening now. If you can't see that, that crazy just got crazier, it did. If it's happening on that end, think of uh, rightness should just get better. Writer, somebody said. It's not a word, is it? No. Did you say it, though? She did. The English teacher said it. And then she went like that and winced, so I knew it really wasn't a word. But it worked, and it's memorable. Why? There's something that should happen on our side of things. If the world's getting darker, we can despair at that or we can become anointed because of it. And it's our choice and how we want to think about the days that we're living in. It's not a time to be defeated and silent. It's a time to be empowered and emboldened and have something more to say. Now, this is 2 Thessalonians and it's a passage that I believe parallels and mirrors. This is teaching to a church, reflecting back on things Jesus said, walking with the disciples. So we just heard Jesus give the parable, but let's look at what the church at Thessalonica was being instructed to do regarding the end times, the end days. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. And now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. He's talking about, I believe, the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God in the earth, through the church, through the body of Christ, that has held back a lot of darkness. I believe that we held back a lot of darkness for generations. Darkness still kept trying to come out. Why People would step back from being Jesus' witness. When we step back, we are, we are putting the light under the bed. Another story Jesus taught. Don't put the lamp under the bed. Well, you catch the bed on fire, for one thing. You don't put the lamp under the bed. It's not meant to go there. It's meant to, to be shown and to be seen by all men. Now, he's talking to a church, and he says there's, there's going to be something happen that he who withholds is going to not withhold as much anymore. 
Rather than despair over what the world seems to be turning into or where it seems to be going, recognize we can't change the destiny of the world in the natural. We change the destination of people spiritually. So where the Holy Spirit seemed to have been holding things back, he's allowing some things to come to a head. Think of it this way. When the tares are coming to a head and the world's going crazy, the church ought to be having a countermeasure. Something should be happening in us that is a maturity, that is a harvest, that is precious to God, that is what everything is all about in the first place. And it isn't about how much more God can bless us, it's how much can we bless him. It's what can we do in his agenda. I've been for several years teaching along these lines, and today things are coming to a head. If you want to call this message something a little unorthodox, it's all coming to a head. That's what Jesus is talking about. What's coming to a head? Everything is being shaken and dried and prepared for harvest so that there can be a a God-given glory in the earth in the final hours. He doesn't want what's on fire to be the main attraction in the earth. He doesn't want the tares burning in bundles being what everybody is talking about. He's wanting the harvest to be what people are talking about. I've not seen a farmer yet that gets too carried away with the weeds that they don't go out and get the crop. They're going to go get what's out there. Now, uh, years ago, there might have been times you look out over a field and think, dear Lord, why? Uh, if you didn't pull off the weeds by hand, they came up and grew and it looked pretty ugly for a while. But you know what? The grain was under there. Understand the nature as, as farming has changed, so has spiritual living changed. Scripture says that we'll be without excuse in this generation for winning the loss for him. That means he's made it so easy we won't go wrong if we try. Now, for the mystery of iniquity is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Eventually, the restraining force will be all done in the earth. I'd like to believe we're gone when that happens in the rapture. Now, whenever the grain is getting ready to harvest, it reveals the, the nature of what the harvest is. Think again about the dealings of God in the earth as the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. In Joel 2 and Acts 2, it tells us so. Why would he be poured out on all flesh except all men could be reached, all women, all people could be reached for the master? We have to understand God's at work in every person, and he's identifying the lost for us to win them. Well, that's just something to think about. Now, he says that, that in the, the iniquity or lawlessness is going to become more apparent, but he said, so too will restraint be seen in the people of God. What's one of our restraints to not get caught up in what everybody else is caught up in? To be caught up in understanding Jesus put us here with a mission in mind, and maybe we have a greater responsibility to that mission than any generation, because we should have a sense time is short if we know what the Bible is saying. Now, And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. What's he talking about? I believe he's talking about the role of preachers in a time such as this. Who operates in the spirit of his mouth? His mouthpieces do. Now, it shouldn't only be his preachers. It should get off on you. Something of what I say is worth repeating to somebody you know. It's probably worth repeating to somebody that you don't know. Why? Because it's it's the word of God. What is it? It's the spirit of truth coming out from somebody's mouth, when you put it in your mouth, it can do some work. When you put God's word in your mouth, it can do some work. When you have something good to tell somebody and they're not hearing something good, it just just stands out. When you bring hope to somebody that isn't hearing a hope-filled message, they want to hear more about that. The gospel is designed to win people. It is not designed to be difficult. It's an easy message. Now, The Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's talking about an event. Before Jesus comes again, the body of Christ will become the preachers and teachers that they're supposed to be. And honestly, not everybody's called to do that full time, but everybody's called to do that. To let the spirit of God work in our mouth. Here's something I know about the spirit of God. He's not timid and meek. 
He will not take over a situation without you inviting him to. People you say, oh, he comes in like a dove. Well, that's, that's one manifestation. He can come in and do a gentle work. But he's usually pretty strong with me, pretty direct. Why? Uh, when we mature, he doesn't, he's not maybe as gentle. He's a little more direct. When you start praying, Lord, make something of my life more than I can do on my own, he starts getting more direct because we give him room to manifest that way. I believe that's what he wants to do. He's not trying to be rough with people. He's wanting to be direct with us. Why? We're his best shot at winning the field. Now, God does release a, a judgment for separation. The same Holy Spirit that's being poured out on flesh that is trying to, to cause people to turn toward Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that will judge at the end and say they did or they didn't. That's what the Holy Spirit of God does. We're not that person. He's that person. And I would say this, we never give up on anybody. No. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth. He's talking about a group of people who professed Christ. They said they were Christian, but they never fell in love with God's truth. One way to think about it today is this, this, this desire in, in our hearts to win people to Jesus will, will, is something we're to embrace. And when we don't embrace it, there's a deceivableness about that. We think, oh, Jesus did it for me and that's it it's as far as it goes with me. He made me different and I can be quiet and I don't have to be a voice. I don't have to be concerned about other people. I hear a lot of Christians that, that have gotten in this deception. They're practicing a lifestyle that doesn't honor God, and they say, Pastor, it's really, it's all right. I'm not hurting anybody. If it hurts anybody, it will only be me. That's a deceivableness. When we think God's calling someone else to be bold and not us, that's a deceivableness. Why? It's, it's embracing an unrighteousness instead of choosing Jesus' righteousness. It's embracing an excuse rather than taking hold of his challenge. Now, he says, there's a deceivableness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth. I say routinely, and I'm going to be teaching on this this year more and more and more. This is a church we welcome everybody to come, but it will not be the church that we compromise the gospel. We will preach the full word of God in this church. Why? We're not going to create deceivableness so that people, a great crowd can gather over deception. We're not going to be first about entertainment. We can't be. Uh, think of how entertainment will take you away from winning anybody to Jesus if you're not careful. There's more forms of entertainment in America than there used to be in the whole world even 100 years ago, probably even 20 years ago. So if we're not careful, we get caught up in the deceivableness of that and taken off mission, and we don't want anything that really counts for the master. So, Pastor, I need a distraction and a diversion. So do I once in a while, but not every day. We're, we're not supposed to need that every day. Now, uh, they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. In other words, there are some that heard the truth but rejected it. Again, we're not going to get caught up in all of that, but recognize it will happen sometimes. I... I when I'm around people anymore, I think this way. It is my aim to tempt everybody to Jesus, to bait everybody to Jesus. I, I, I teach young ministers, chum the water around you so the fish will come to dine. Why? Or we're not out to hook them. The Holy Spirit's out to net them. And what do we do? We, we create a welcoming atmosphere to give people something good that God has provided freely to us. And we make it known all around us that we are available for people to come into the kingdom. Now, and to this end, God shall send them a strong delusion. God shall do it. When it comes down to the end, the same Holy Spirit causing people to be one to the Lord will allow delusion to come into those who will turn away. And it'll be like night and day. But again, we don't judge who's not coming in. We treat everyone as though they are coming in. Now, thank you for those occasional amens. This is supposed to make us uncomfortable. When you look at what Jesus taught, a lot of it, was made, it makes us uncomfortable. It's a kingdom culture that's counterculture. 
It's counter to what we do today. You know, we're, we're preparing documents for a next step program so that we have the, the ability for people to get plugged in more and more in, in ministry. Marcus and Elizabeth are working on that. And I saw a recent, just saw their, I call it the first draft, first one I saw. And one of the things they said that I just, I got all excited over, we're called to be the counterculture to the world we're in because of Jesus. I read that and said, they are right on target. But what is that counterculture? I'm sharing with you today what it is. There will be many churches focused on, oh, look at the lost. Look how terrible it is. Look how the earth is going to hell in a handbasket. And they are parroting what the devil wants to be hearing the most. Then there's the exception that looks at the whole field and says, everybody alive has potential to be one. And we're going to get everybody that we can. And, and think of it this way. And it could be everybody in your room. It could be everybody on your street. It could be the everybody that you think, oh, it couldn't possibly be that one. It couldn't possibly be that family. They hate Christians. I've seen them one. Why? They haven't hated the real deal. They've hated the fake stuff that they saw. The real deal chums the water with the goodness of God all the time. And then the Holy Ghost has a way of dropping the net. He has a way of doing that. Why? He, he has people that just specialize in that. I, I think of the Spanglers that way, if I can use that example. They were family just cruised over the water and dropped the net. Why? The Holy Spirit did a work. To, no, I'm not saying they didn't do anything about it. They chummed the water all the time. Interesting for you to choose to be here today, <laughs> particularly for this message. Why? I saw them do, I saw them talking to their kids about that. Who are you winning to Jesus in your classroom this year? Sitting at lunch, I think, oh, little kids are under pressure. They weren't under pressure. They were, oh, Mom, you know already I'm doing this. Dad, you know I'm doing that. Well, bring those kids with you to youth group. Bring those kids with all the time. We can't lose that. So I credit some of the, some, some of the DNA. See, God puts people in this house, and their DNA sticks, and that stuck, by the way. I, I talk about that several times a year. Now, God releases this, this separation judgment. We don't. Uh, it might look like things are going to turn out one way, but they'll turn out another. Now, and, and uh, to this end, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Sometimes people just choose to take all their pleasure in going away from God. Now, he says it will happen, but we're going to, for now, minimize that because it'll be maximized by plenty of people. It'll be maximized by the media, how terrible the church is, and blackball Christians more and more and more. Be the ones they're not talking about. Now, we can choose the king of love and joy and peace. That's who our king is. Now, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you. This is verse 13. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through belief of the truth and sanctification of the Spirit. He's saying here, we should take special joy in the house, in the family that we're already a part of his family. There's a special joy. There's a special peace. There's a special assignment on that. I grew up as the oldest kid in my house. There was always a special assignment on that. But if I learned to do the special assignment and be the influence I was supposed to be in every situation I possibly could, I could tap into special privileges, special reward. Now, anybody can do that in the family of God. What do we do? We want the privileges and the reward and the anointing and the joy and the peace and all of the stuff without doing what it is that releases the power of God into our life for that. We have to understand salvation was a free gift, but we embrace Jesus as Lord. We're saying, I want to be a part of your mission now, and you're going to give me not just special responsibility, but I'm going to operate in the authority and power of God, which is a privilege. That means answered prayer. More and more and more often. When people ask me, why are my prayers not being answered? It will have to do with the same thing always. Are we being his witness and putting Jesus out there? Or are we just putting ourselves out there? 
Are we just saying, well, I'm a Christian, don't I look wonderful? Most people are going to go, what, really? You're just a person. But when we put Jesus out there, something happens when we're with a person. Love is, love is kicked in. Love comes into the picture. Peace comes into the picture. Joy comes into the picture. Even if they don't catch those things initially, they are exposed to them. Minimum should happen after we encounter somebody that isn't walking with Jesus is we have made them feel two things. Better that they had somebody to talk to and convicted that they need to make a change. Whenever those two things are not in concert, in church or in our lives or in ministry, we're missing it and we become lopsided. I'm addressing this with some passion today because I believe it's the sword of the Holy Spirit coming out of my mouth. It's Jesus' authorship. It's his word. And he wants us to recognize the joy and peace that passes all understanding. The love of God working in our heart is going to come back to us as we sow it on the water. As we do, do what we are supposed to with people, there's going to be a sense of belonging in the earth for this moment, a sense of assignment and accomplishment, a sense of purpose. When there's books and books and books written for people to discover purpose, I think something is wrong with humanity that we can't just accept Jesus' purpose to win people into the kingdom and then make disciples out of those same people. I heard a wonderful story about a, a young man convert from LaDonna Osborne on TV yesterday. I, she's the daughter of T.L. and Daisy Osborne. I used to study, study their work and study under them and spend time in their museum years ago, listening to the old tapes and, and, and the, the reel-to-reels is what they were of their, their revivals. And they won more people in that generation to the Lord as evangelists than anyone had walked since the time of Christ. So I looked and listened to what they were doing. I listened to what she had to say. She said, one of the th most thrilling things about this hour is seeing a new convert come to Christ, be filled with the Holy Ghost and accept Jesus' challenge to put on Jesus' yoke. We talked about that Wednesday. What does his yoke do? His yoke makes us fulfill his mission. And this same new convert who didn't have any money, any ability, went from one African nation to another, walked to the border to take the gospel into another country. As a new convert, he'd been saved three days and he started out walking with his Bible. Had no passport. They weren't going to let him in. He said, but you don't understand. This is my passport. This is my Bible. And Jesus, my Lord, told me to go into all nations. And I'm coming to your nation to preach Jesus. And after exhausting the guards at the border, they finally was like, let the dude in. He's driving us nuts. His Bible is his passport. He's obviously some kind of crazy lunatic. Just let him in. He's probably harmless enough. He went in about 20 miles into that country and started preaching Jesus in a little town. Won 150 people over to the Lord in the course of about three weeks. Walked back into his nation. Walked back into the church where he got converted. And he said, now I've got converts for you. Send a pastor to disciple them. And then he went to the next border of another country. Walked in and in about eight weeks did the same thing again. This is somebody just saved, just coming into the kingdom that doesn't know much of anything yet except he knows who is living in him and he's accepted the charge of his master. We think we've got to be well qualified, well able. Oh, we've got to be able to, to come against all of this stuff and we've got to deal with the devil. And it, Jesus did all that. He set the stage for us to enter onto the stage where he left the play. And he said, kids, go have fun with this and win the world, win the lost, make disciples for me and change all nations. Now, if we can't do that at home, I'll tell you something about people around here. They like home people. When I would talk to the, this couple, they said, oh, uh, we know you're from around here. In some ways, you might be made to feel that doesn't count for anything. I'm going to tell you, for people around here, it counts. Why? We have common bond in, in dealing with some of the same life situations. Let God use that. What is today about? Today is about bringing down those inhibitions that are in the way. Seeing people the way Jesus wants us to see them. Wednesday we had, had altar time and altar service. Today is a little bit different. I believe first I'm to, to pray for you where you are. In just a minute, Pastor Paul's going to come and open the altar up for whatever you have need of. But today I'm, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do something. Wake us up to see the world like Jesus does right now. He's saying, it's ripe, it's ripe, it's time, it's time. And if we get caught up in that thinking a little bit, 
and have a conversation with the master, we'll discover who he's given us to win. So, pastor, you don't know me. I know you've got people around you not serving the Lord. But we're in that world. Heavenly Father, I ask today in Jesus' name, your Holy Spirit, minister life to us to stir us up on the inside. Wake us up as your body that you are for every person and we need to step out, Father, into what you have foreordained to be your witness. It is not enough to be passively thinking they're going to look through our window and want who we have. Father, we, we shine as lights before men and we demonstrate your goodness. Father, I, I ask that you bring your Holy Spirit to convict us of what we should do. Father, if we will lean into you for this, we'll receive of you the anointing to bless all the rest. If we'll focus on what you ask for in bringing in first fruits and bringing in the harvest and bringing in what you've called for in the earth, you'll take care of us. Father, you'll, you'll be generous with us. Now, Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing here that I call the dealings of God, that you're working in our hearts to be what you've asked us to be. We won't judge one another. We won't predetermine what that is for any other person. But we'll look inward and listen for what your Holy Spirit is saying on the inside to respond to you. And we're going to be more others focused than we ever have been before asking for your help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the nets that you've prepared that you're casting into the water. And we'll do our job with our life to bring you glory. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing to us the importance of living in this generation and what you've anointed us for. We're not just here to be blessed and then to be a blessing. Father, we're first here to let it all be seen before men who Jesus is. Father, I thank you for the steps we're taking as a congregation and your wisdom on our leaders and our board. Father, on those that are stepping up to, to bring in uh, uh, new ways of doing things. Father, I thank you for our, our Bible school grads that are many in this church. Father, I thank you for their input. I thank you for their anointing. I thank you what you're going to do through them. Father, for our, 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 our college uh, students that are here today. Father, our Bible school students in particular, thank you for your anointing on their life. Father, as they go from here, they carry something, and as they come back, they bring something. Father, I thank you that you're doing a work, an amazing work, and a marvelous work, and we accept it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that ministry at Living Word Church is possible. You can get more information on our website at go2lwc.org. You can also give online as well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. You can take a screenshot and post it to your social stories. You know what? You can even share it in person with someone who needs encouragement from God's Word today. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you're welcome to join us in person where we will worship together and God will minister directly to you. Be blessed this week and be a doer of his word.